Eyes On. Eyes On. Live from the Shorja Children's Reading Festival. If there is something that I talk about a lot and advocate for throughout my show, it is diversity and the voices of many people, especially what would be considered marginalized voices. And Burhana Islam, the author of Mayhem Mission and the Dastardly Duo, and she is the author who wrote a Muslim version of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I love that very much. Can you tell me all about your journey, starting your writing journey, how you became an author, and what inspired you to write about you're a Muslim yourself, like another Muslim story. Um, it's really interesting that you say that because I never actually considered writing as a career or writing was within my realm of possibility. Um, you'll know that growing up there was just a lack of diversity in children's literature so the prospect of being an author didn't occur to me until five years ago and that's actually when I started my writing journey um, I was a child that read but because I never saw people like me who wrote it just it never occurred to me that somebody like me would write so I didn't really write that many stories um, I just found myself buried in books and it was only when because I teach as well I'm a secondary school teacher and it was only when I was marking a pile of books my year nines had just finished their assessment on To Kill a Mockingbird and I remember it so clearly because they'd done so well but I didn't want to mark it because um, it was just a lot of work to do so instead um, I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw this competition and I was like, oh, shall I write a story for this competition or shall I mark these books? And that's the only reason why I started. It was a form of procrastination. Um, so I ended up entering that competition and I didn't get onto that competition. It was like um, from Penguin Random House, the Right Now scheme. Um, so it was one of the biggest publishers and I didn't get onto the scheme and nor did I expect to. I just did it for the sake of doing it. Um, and what was quite interesting is in America they had a Muslim call out um, after Trump's uh, got his presidency um, and I ended up just sending um, the manuscript that I made it was literally just a rhyme a nursery rhyme of four pages long um, about a revolution and kind of reclaiming your voice um, it wasn't very good um, but I remember sending it to two people um, in the US and they actually got back to me um, and they were advocates of getting Muslim voices out there, especially with what was happening politically in the landscape in America. Um, and when they got back to me, they gave me um, recommendations. Jacqueline Woodson's Brown Girls uh, Dreaming. I love that book and Kwame Alexander's verse novels and if they hadn't recommended those books I would not have spent the following year thinking actually let's do this a little bit more seriously. I entered the same competition the next year and I actually got through all of the rounds. I didn't have a full manuscript. They were just like okay we need a thousand words and I was like I'll write a thousand. Okay now we need four thousand words and I was like oh I've got like a month to write 4,000 words, so I added 4,000. Like, okay, now we need a whole novel by the end of like the year. And I was like, okay, now I need a whole novel. And I just did it like that. And just somehow, like, I feel really blessed, but somehow I just got onto the scheme and I was one of 10 mentees. Um, and my journey really started from there. It was never, uh, I loved writing when I was, when I was young. It was just, I did a bit of procrastination and look where Qadr found me. Do you know what I mean? So it kind of started like that. So what you're saying is that procrastination sometimes is oh, a good yeah. thing. I like to call it productive procrastination. So I've, I've labeled it. So, cause I always think that time is so precious and it's a reminder to myself because lately I haven't <laughs> been as precious about it. But um, 
the way I look at life is you can do productive procrastination or unproductive procrastination. Um, and when I have a to-do list, this was my productive procrastination. This was like, let me just use a bit of creativity, leave it for now and then go, go and do something else. I did get the books marked and the kids did well, um, but it was quite nice um, to have something out of it. And if I hadn't, like, if I hadn't seen that tweet, if I hadn't got bored of the books that I was marking, it just would never have it would, I always say I would never have thought it was in my realm of possibility. We're going to go back to it eventually, what you just said right now, because it's been a recurring discussion with a lot of authors that I've had so far. It's all about keeping your passion alive and whatnot. But let's go back, let's dial it back a little bit to the topic. You are writing for children. Now, do, are you writing for the child within you? Or is it, did you get inspired by your students? Or is it just luck that because of the competition, you are, you basically diverted yourself towards that goal? I don't think I would have ever written for anybody but children. Um, I didn't know that until I started writing. Um, and when it came to my books, the first book that I act that got me the competition d is still shelved. It's not been published. Um, it's something that I've put aside because... I feel like I'm not the right person to write that book. There are perhaps other authors that are more suitable um, to write that book. Um, it was inspired by a Syrian friend of mine um, and she kind of told me what her life was like and the more she told me, the more I kind of took a step back from that book. So that's kind of, that was young adult and that's kind of taken a step back. And then it just so happened that everything else fell into place where I ended up um, writing for the children I was teaching. And Amazing Muslims, um, I wrote Amazing Muslims Who Changed the World. And that just literally came from a classroom idea where um, I was in teaching my year 11s I think that's they're 16 year olds um, and I think the Manchester um, bombings had just happened um, and it was a school um, in Oldham um, and there was a lot of Muslim children there a lot of Muslim students and one of the really interesting things was um, in the classroom um, the white um, students were the, eth were the ethnic minority really but still um, one of the boys had all the confidence in the world um, to say oh but Islam like all essentially all terrorists are Muslim and it was just through his ignorance but it just struck me that there was two white students in that class and everybody else was either black or another person of colour and he would just have the confidence to say something like that because I could never have done it. To this day, I cannot do that. Um, and then all my students were kind of like, not this conversation again. So we kind of paused our lesson and we kind of talked about, we deconstructed what he said, where it came from, what it meant. Um, but it was my students telling him, like, we were in a position where we, I could ask the questions to them and they could answer. They're more likely to listen from their peers. And um, I think one of them had said, well, Muslims have influenced the world in this way. Um, and they knew I was writing and they were just like, we should write a book about what we've done, about our achievements. And we were looking at names um, because Al-Haytham is Latinized to Al-Hazan and then our achievements are essentially um, erased because of the way we pronounce names and we don't trace it back to um, Muslim times, you know what I mean? And it's the exact same with our students. I remember having a conversation with a white teacher and I was like oh did you know his name's Halid um, 
and I was like, but uh, the teacher was like, what, uh, no, I said, why does he pronounce it Halid? I was like, Halid, why do you say Halid? Your name is Halid, it's a beautiful name. And I was like, own it, embrace it. And the white teacher said, and I was like, we're in the same profession. Like, you, how can you think like this? He was like, it's just easier to say. And I was like, Halid, Halid, it's, it's the same. And I was like, I said to my student, I was like, in allowing him to change your name, even if he is a figure of authority, and you're merely like 14 years old and allowing him to change your name he like changes an aspect of your identity and the fact that somebody in power and somebody who doesn't even belong to your community has done that and has essentially claimed something that belongs to you and essentially he doesn't think it's such a big deal but this is such a big part of your identity it's your name and I think we were looking at names and things like that and how we can get our own names back out there re-establish the Muslim community um, in a, in a light that completely challenges the stereotypes that really are, are prevalent in the West. And I feel that you yourself, you kind of notice that you have a platform because you are, you were able to have that conversation with that white student and kind of having that talk of trying to deconstruct everything, whereas some other POCs might not have that sort of privilege. It's unfortunate that we call it a privilege in other places where they cannot be able, they don't have that person to advocate for them and speak for them. So it's very important to have these conversations, which is why I want to talk about um, Mayhem Mission and basically it's a Muslim version of a diary of a wimpy kid. What made you think that this is what I want to write, especially this topic? Well, I think what you find is um, Muslim narratives or ethnic minority narratives seem to be embroiled in trauma. Um, the most successful ones you'll find have the Western lens, um, the Western gaze upon it, um, and it makes a difference. Um, think about who the author is and why should our narratives be limited to difficulties and hardships? Um, no, like the industry, like other, when you have um, other Western authors, they're not limited to that. But why are we limited to that? Like, that's not fair. We can write our funny stories. We can have, yes, we have our um, deeply moving stories that do change our perspective as human beings and the way we come across but funny stories do that too and we're completely entitled to that so I just wanted to be a part of a kind of changing the game and really thinking no we're not limited to our to our um, hardships our movements Yusuf um, who was actually named after my nephew um, Yusuf Ali Khan um, because he never I never saw my name in books so I put all of my nieces and nephews in them if you go through Mayhem Mission and I uh dastardly duo it's just my nieces and nephews names but like why shouldn't they have a taste of happiness in their books but it's also a celebration of a multi-generational family um, which is universal you know what I mean it's a celebration of sibling rivalry and having that love at the heart of it it's a celebration of who we are and what what makes us and all those tiny little nuances obviously Yusuf is a British child um, and to be a British Muslim is different to be an American American Muslim or an Emirati Muslim, you know what I mean? So it's all of those layers and there's so much about us, about our similarities and our differences that we ought to celebrate um, and also share these experiences because they allow us to learn about other people. It ultimately, um, others go down a route of um, 
let's say darkness because they don't feel like they belong and when you feel like you belong and whether that's through literature or through world perspectives because people have grown up reading um, books in diversity and therefore they're more empathetic and more sympathetic it does make the world a better place you feel like you belong you've got acceptance not tolerance I hate that word it's acceptance and um, there's like a celebration of it and I just feel like um, Mayhem Mission and the Dastardly Duo does that it's I think I personally I know I wrote this I'm, I'm actually not a funny person um, and we have like a family group chat and everybody knows that I'm like the serious organized one so when they found out that I was writing a comedy they all just laughed um, but my inspiration literally comes from my family I've taken excerpts from my family from my students from the conversations that they had from my like childhood and all of that has pieced into like a jigsaw puzzle that makes my books but my experience is not um, a single experience it's a collective experience of my community whether um, that lens is through a Muslim lens whether it's through a Bengali lens whether it's through a South Asian lens whether it's through a um, British lens or a lens with someone with eczema you know what I mean like there are so many layers and it is universal but like I say we're not limited to our trauma narratives I love that you mentioned that because it reminds me of a conversation that I saw on social media. I believe it was on Twitter and it was about African-Americans and how I, I believe there was, I'm trying to remember the name of the TV show, but it came out re recently and it was another very, like you said, it's a traumatic story. And a lot of them were saying that can we steer away from that narrative because we are tired of it. There are many stories to talk about. For example, they're like, why can't we have a romantic comedy yeah. just like other people do we want to steer clear we want to talk about our issues and our racial injustices but in the meantime we want to have our fun so i love the fact that you went ahead and gave us basically a mirror of your community can you go back to what you're talking about your passion and how it was accidental and just revisiting that especially from the point of view of as an adult, as somebody who is who is working, you're a teacher. Teachers are everybody knows teachers are overworked. They have a lot of stuff on their mind, and so do a lot of people. As adults, you've got many things on your mind. You're working. You've got your family, your peers, etc. How do you follow that passion? Do you just jump into it? How do you just say, "I'll just do it"? Um, I don't think there's like a define and "I'll just do it" moment. It's like a lot of. Um, it, for me, it was avenues and realizing, because I'm an English teacher, I'm an English specialist. So for me, I know what it's like um, to grow up without, I'm not talking about books that ref reflect me, but also books. Um, what a lot of people don't realize, and one of the things I love about Sharjah is there's such an emphasis on reading. But in the UK, um, because of the rise of social media, the rise of technology, immediate gratification, um, just not having to wait for things, um, a book is a slow burner. And what people don't realize is the experience of reading a book um, is actually an experience that shapes you because a book, you have to take it in, you have to absorb it. It helps you expand your life opportunities. Um, when you're reading, I always say this to parents, I'm like, make sure that your child reads 20 minutes per day because the more they read, um, it ultimately, um, the more empathetic they become, the faster they read. If you're thinking about exams, they could understand the question 
they, they understand the question clearly, um, they're more likely to write an answer faster. They're more likely to move on to the question, next question faster. Um, they're more likely to get a couple of more minutes in an exam because they can read and comprehend that. They're more likely to get a couple of more marks. All so those couple of more marks add to a, you can tell I rehearsed this, they um, add to a grade. And essentially, if uh, there's an, a lot of emphasis on grades. So I do pitch that side of it. But what people don't realise is behind the grades, obviously as a teacher, I, I use that as, a, as an avenue. But behind the grades, you have minds of, of children who are not data, children who are not grades, but children who are going to go out and shape the world and will be like our legacy. What are we actually leaving for them? Are we leaving a world um, where it's just te technology has its benefits, but we're stripping back on how we communicate with people? Um, uh, and a book allows you to have an experience of, let's say you read a book um, for somebody who lives in America, um, somebody who's black in America, and you're like a little bit more aware or a bit clued up on, look, this is how it is in America, okay, what would it be like to be black in the UK? Um, okay, I'm aware of that struggle. I can never experience that struggle, but I'm aware of that struggle. So when you come across these um, opportunities and when you grow up to be in positions of privilege, are you using your platform to to really help the cause of diversity and inclusion? And it all starts at that age. It literally all starts at that age because if they're not reading those books, and I think when you realize that, when you realize that actually, um, raising achievement all stems down to, at the heart of it, your ability to read and comprehend and slowly take in information. And as long as we've established a culture like that, and as long as you value that, what will happen is you will just grow up naturally with better life opportunities. And, and I think once I realized that, and it took, I am an English teacher, I should have realized that a long time ago. <laughs> um, but you realize it in theory, but then you see it in practice in the classroom. And then you see, um, I remember I had uh, this one lad, I, I love him to bits. Um, he was 16 years old, never really read a book in his life. He thought he was dyslexic. I thought he was dyslexic. He just needed to get onto his apprenticeship. If he didn't get onto his apprenticeship, um, he wouldn't get what he wanted to do. He would have ended up with not the same opportunities. He, he probably would have um, ended up in a job that um, he wouldn't have liked or really flourished in. And I just gave him a word of books. We went to the library together, the school library together. And I was just like, okay, you're interested in. Um, and uh, like at the time I knew uh, he was a smoker and he shouldn't have been, but ultimately like, I was like, okay, I'll give you a book about this, I'll give you a book about that. And by the end of it, I was like, when you go fishing, you have to read this book. So when he went fishing, he read the book and then he'd come back to me. And all he had to do was um, to get his C, which was the pass grade, was read a little bit faster so he could write a bit faster. And over the course of like three months, he must have read like 12 books, which he's never done before. And every week we did an exam question and every week he got faster. And I remember on exam day, I'll remember this to this day because he got his C by one mark. And this was like a student that got E's and D's um, throughout his entire schooling. And But for him to get his C by one mark and have access to that apprenticeship, which would have given him access to like a job that he loves, um, better life opportunities, you know what I mean? Um, so at the heart of it, I think when I saw that in practice with him, I was like, I want to do something about it. And unless these 
Unless our kids see themselves in books and they feel like they've got a place to belong because if they open up a book and just see a character that doesn't resemble them, they're not going to be into it. Like everyone's a reader, they just haven't found the right book yet. And as long as they, I can match them up or as long as we match them up with the right book, they'll be fine. Um, but the right books have got to be out there for them to even be matched up. Do you know what I mean? I love what you said so much, especially the last part that everybody has a book for them. They just haven't matched up with the right book yet. And speaking about the right book, I've been asking this question to all the authors who are visiting us here at Pulse95. And that is, what is your favorite book growing up? And I know maybe it's not one book, as many books as you can remember. Which ones were your favorite growing up? Yeah, I saw when I was little um, and there was a chicken house book called, I don't even know what, I think it's like the sky is falling. And it was the first time I got into rhythm because there were characters and it was a, it must have been one of the first books I independently read and I used to read it after mosque. Um, and it was like about a little chick, a little chick who an acorn fell on his head and he thought the sky was falling. So he went to, and I always remember this, he went to see Chicken Lickin' Henny Penny, Cocky Lucky, Ducky Lucky, Drakey Lakey, Foxy Lucky, Goosey Lucy. Uh, and I'll never forget that. Bear in mind, I read that like almost eight years ago. And I'll never forget that because I just remembered loving that. I think that was a book I read independently first. Um, when we were growing up, we didn't have that much money for books. Um, we went to the library a lot and the libraries like really shaped the person that I am today. But the first book that I ever got, my dad saved up, I remember, and he bought a book for me and my brother and my sister. I, he's like a first generation into this country. He didn't know what he was buying. He was just like, okay, I'll buy this, this and this. He didn't really read much, but he kept a library of books knowing that we would somehow access them. And um, he got me Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And I think I'll always have a love for that because it was the first book that he got me. Um, and he got my brother the next one. He never got us the first and second one, which you would think he would start on that. Um, but I think I ended up, uh, that one will always be something that's close to my heart, simply because it gave me an avenue to read. I think after that book, I went to the library every week. Up until that point, I didn't really have access to that or didn't badger my dad to take me. Thank you so much for your time, Burhana. That was such a delightful talk that I had with you. And I hope you enjoy your stay here in Sharjah at the Sharjah Children's Reading Festival. Thank you for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it here. I love Sharjah. Eyes on. Eyes on. Live from the Sharjah Children's Reading Festival.